Well, hello there. I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. Welcome everyone to Aging Fearlessly and my guests today are truly brave. They've stepped way outside their comfort zone. I ask you all, where's your sense of adventure? Mine stops at jumping out of a perfectly good aeroplane or trekking well-trodden trails in South America or doing an island-to-island swim in the Mediterranean. But my guests, however, really take adventure to a different level, a level that scares me to death. Matt Hayes and Sid Seymour set off in July 2018 to circumnavigate the the globe in Matt's 56-foot boat, The Influencer, and today they are sharing their seafaring tales with all of us. So welcome back, guys. Thank you. Thanks. (laughs) I am absolutely so happy to have you back, and I truly mean that because, you know, it's great to see your happy faces again and know that you made it safely around the world. We're quite happy about that too. I know you were well prepared, but there's always that unknown, isn't there? Yeah, well, I, I did everything I possibly could to make sure that um, we were safe, in particular that Sydney was safe because God forbid, if something happened to it, can you imagine the paperwork that I'd have to fill in? Oh, it would be mammoth. I know. And, you know, you'd have to listen to that voice in your ear for the rest of your life, Matt, so it, would, it was worth keeping her safe. Yeah, well, often she'd go on the foredeck, she'd have a life jacket on, but she wouldn't be hooked onto the harness, and I'd be yelling at her, don't you fall overboard. Because, you know, the paperwork issue, you know, I've got, I've got to go through inquiries and coronial investigations and the whole box of dice. So just clip onto the boat, okay? Yeah, I can imagine. So, Matt, I want to ask, first of all, you came on the show for episode, on my Aging Fearlessly show, there is an episode that we did together prior to you leaving and I wrote it down I think it's episode 26, but I'll clarify that. I wrote, I looked it up a minute ago. Um, and you told us about the prep you'd done. Sid, I don't know where you were. You were off in New Zealand saying goodbye to your family when Matt and I did this. But, Matt, can you tell us about your sailing experience prior to doing this round the world? I'm not sure how much time we've got, Karen, but um, I was... Uh... <laughs> Sort of a, a young boy and grew up on the Sydney waterfront and went from sailing dinghies to windsurfing to skiff sailing and then into what's called one design racing. I did uh, an Olympic Games and I got into ocean racing and multiple Sydney to Hobarts and competing all over the world. Um, Admiral's Cups, Kenwood Cups, um, as, as I said, Sydney to Hobart, I think around 17 or so of those. So the, the cruising life, cruising on a yacht was sort of something that I'd, I'd never really done before. So that was, I suppose that was something that I, I really wanted to investigate and explore and try out and see how I went. But um, 
And I tell you, I'm just hooked. It's such a wonderful thing to do, a cruising life on a yacht. Now, some bird called Sid Seymour comes along one day and says, hey, Matt, I think we should sail around the world. Did you raise your eyebrows? Um, There's probably a little bit more than that. I think um, um, Sid is a... Um, a high fun- she's what I call a HFI, a high-functioning individual. I thought you were going to say something else, then it was nearly a slip of the tongue. <laughs> a, a, professional, a, a professional project director. Um, she's uh, the epitome of someone who just gets stuff done. And she offered to project manage this, this, this uh, um, I don't know, this, this dream of mine to sail around the world. And, and in return, she wanted to be on the boat. The only problem that Sydney has is she gets chronically seasick. She looks at the water and throws up, <laughs> let alone going across Sydney heads. But I tell you, talk about resilience. Um, my God, this woman is so strong. She sailed all the way around the world and uh, she conquered her seasickness, you know, and that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty major when you think about people who get sick. <laughs> they don't want to go anywhere near a boat. So she tried all sorts of different seasick tablets and she found one, um, which was um, which fit her, and then um, and so you know you went from this person who was couldn't sail across Sydney heads without throwing up to his you know sailing across the world's oceans, encountering all sorts of rough conditions confidently without any hint of seasickness whatsoever. It's remarkable. Well done, Sid. So, Sid, besides project managing, which we know you can do. Yep. What sailing experience did you have when you got this little idea that started nagging away in your brain that says, I think I want to sail with Matt around the world? Uh, zero. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we love about you. <laughs> the only boat I've ever sailed on or been on, apart from now all our friends around the world's boats when we're having sundowners on their boats, uh, the only boat I've ever been on is that one boat in Florida. <laughs> I, I really think that that is that says it all about um, stepping out of your comfort zone. Oh, I'll sail around the world, um, but I don't know how to sail. <laughs> no. Well, as one of my daughters said to me, I did say to her one day before I met Matt, I said, I think I'll sail around the world. And she said, but, Sid, you don't know how to sail. And I said, yeah, I know. And that's all right, though. And she said, you don't have a boat. I said, oh, that's all right. doesn't matter. And she said, but you get so sick. It's not funny. You can't even sit on a swing in the park. I'm like, yeah, I know. But I think I will anyway. <laughs> and then, really, it was Matt's fault. He was showing off his photos of his new yacht at the, the party one night. And what I was it? Them and that was the end of that. Have I got it right? A 56-foot? Yeah, it's a 56-foot yacht. Um, yeah, monohull. You know, it's, we just call it a 56-foot yacht. So it's a 56-foot yacht, a very nice-looking yacht. It's not bad. It's very comfy too. I've, I've had a bit of birthday cake and a few wines on the back <laughs> before it turned into a around-the-world um, sailing boat. In my last podcast with you, Matt, we talked a little bit about the prep, but Sid was responsible. 
the labelling, everything, and putting it all in place and the whole project management. So, Sid, can you tell us a bit about the project management side of it? Well, really, it was just uh, whipping Matt, Matt into shape and making sure he got stuff down. <laughs> but I know what we did, we sat down and we just went through everything we could possibly think of that we might need to get done. And, it, and um, oh, we had huge categories. I mean, there was obviously the whole rig of the boat. I didn't even know what I was talking about there. I just took notes and Matt said, I've got to do this and that and the other. But there was the whole rig of the boat and the sails and the and the, all the, the ropes and carry on. Um, there's all the safety gear, which is obviously pretty critical. And there's a lot of that on the boat, like masses of that on the boat. Um, everything from pumps and, you know, extra pumps and uh, life rings and John Boys and that. Um, there was, um, and there's all the communications What's equipment. A John Boy? What's a John Boy? You know, not right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I might have let, I might have uh, opened that up if you'd gone overboard and then again I might have kept sailing <laughs> depending on our mood on the day um, So, but there was just you know there was logistics booking uh, marinas um, like uh, booking the marina in Cape Town you have to book months and months and months and months ahead to um, get in there um, and uh, Cullen Bay up in Darwin so uh then there's just all the provisioning and the storage and the spare parts and unbelievable like and on and on and on and on was the the checklist about 40 or 50 a4 pages or longer um it was pretty long matt can you remember how how many was it a spreadsheet an excel spreadsheet yeah we had basically a big spreadsheet um yeah well the original gantt chart i think um had um over sort of five or six hundred entries in it yeah and that's prior to departure so i'm just having a look at my list of things to do or list of things for us to do prior to leaving tahiti for a two-week passage to french uh, to uh, fiji so from french to fiji this is on the legs coming home yeah so this is an example. So I have 182 items on our list to do. Wow. Departure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, that's including you know, writing to the Department of Foreign Affairs and cleaning the bows and, and um, you know, picking up the spare autopilot, getting the engine service, the generator serviced and um, getting Food, the orders laundry. And it just laundry just goes on and on and on. So, I mean, yeah. And often we'd sort of, um, we'd do things which weren't on the checklist. So we'd add them to the checklist and we'd mark them off as done. So we know actually what, what we have yeah. achieved. You know, I think preparation, preparation is so important. Well, let's say preparation prevents poor performance. So um, we fastidiously prepared the boat for sea. And that's everything from, you know, um, the, the, the water that we put in the tanks is really clean yep. um, to the food, to the storage of the food, to, to um, getting rid of the rubbish of like all the packaging off the boat before we depart, um, getting our own sort of physical health um, in tune before mm-hmm. like we never, we obviously never drink at sea and I have a rule that there's no drinking the night before we go to sea. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of try and really get ourselves physically prepared and mentally prepared as well. Mm. Uh, as well as a lot of research into the weather. I, I look at the weather up to two weeks before the mm. march of a long voyage and just study the weather patterns. Mm-hmm. And I engage in a professional weather router 
as well to um, to check the weather forecast for us so we're safe. Yeah. If I was on the boat, I'd be panicking if you weren't checking the weather. But you mentioned something before, the physical preparation, and that's something that I have here, mental, physical and emotional preparation. Yeah. How important are these? Really important. So particularly for me, the emotional, psychological, because I never, dis- I didn't discover the pills that worked for me till we got to Cape Town. But from there on, and it was a, it was a very different story across the Atlantic and the Pacific and in the Caribbean for me. But all the same, I had to still prepare myself for the cycle of being at sea because uh, one, I've got, one, I've got to take the pills the night before I leave. But it's also the fact that the pills do actually affect your body. And, you know, after a week of these pills, I think you're not really meant to take them for that long. Um, Don't tell anyone. Yeah, you can actually feel it having an impact on your body. So it's it's that preparation. And also, it's a very different world when you're at sea from when you're at anchor. It's just a, a completely different world. So you've got to have your head, you've got to start, you know, at least the day before putting your head into that, kind of thinking and out of your anchor at anchor and cruising thinking yeah yeah Um, that's that's pretty important to me sailing always see oh i'm going out in the yacht it's very glamorous but i know that (laughs) a lot of the glamorous is left at the dock is that correct all the glamour is left at the dock (laughs) i um you know and it's hard to imagine i know when i've heard of other people circumnavigating the world and you, you hear about it on the news and you think you know, we don't know the half of what's happened out there. No. You know, it's, uh, you know, and I hope you documented it very well for that book. <laughs> that book, yes. <laughs> so expectations. Um, either of you, if you want, I'd love a comment on what were your expectations when you left and how did, was, did you meet those expectations? Did the whole thing meet the expectations that you had? Or more. I think for me, it far exceeded my expectations. Um, yeah. It's, it's um, you know, and you, you learn a lot along the way, not so much about, you know, the boat and all that sort of stuff, but you learn a lot about, I think you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot, a lot about your limitations and what you can do and what you can't do. And, and also, um, and I think, um, so for my background in ocean racing if you like he's always on a crew with the, you know up to 14 15 16 other people so all of a sudden i'm on a boat with one or two others or three others maximum on a on a on a on a, on a big yacht that has big sails and there's a lot involved in the boat so you've got to be like a jack of all trades so my learning curve was was way through the roof yeah and so there was um i never expected that to be the case um I think also um, I I personally wasn't really, I don't kind of think too much about the future in terms of how good a place is going to be. I like to be pleasantly surprised when I get there. Mm. In actual fact, we meet a lot of people and they say, oh, you got to go to this atoll, this lagoon, it's fantastic, and you got to anchor here and all that sort of stuff. And I would often say, listen, I don't want to know about it. We're going to go there and we'll just experience it for ourselves and not, not have this high expectation about the place we're going to get to. So, mm. um, so in terms of 
that sort of destination, Sani, expectations were quite low. Um, but in terms of, um, of, I suppose, you know, by the end, how we sailed the boat, how we worked together as a team, um, far exceeded my expectations, you know. So, yeah. you know, the last leg we did from Fiji to Bundaberg in Queensland, it's about 1,500 nautical miles. And, there was, and that was a pretty tough leg. We had some pretty wild weather for the first three days and then, and then you know, reasonable weather and, a cup and some kind of baddish weather towards the finish with some, some equipment malfunction. And there was just, there was Sid and I and another crew member, but the other crew member hadn't pretty much never sailed before. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was an absolute raw beginner. So, you know, mm. so we, we sailed the boat on our own that, that distance, which, which is a long way through different weather systems and time zones and latitudes and longitudes and from one sea to the next sea, like, you know, the Coral Sea from the, mm-hmm. um, you know, from the, from the stretch of sea between um, Fiji and New Caledonia. Um, so that was, I mean, I would never have thought when we left Sydney that, Sydney, who's really just started sailing, who who would get chronically seasick, would be reached the level where we're just operating as a team and doing a really quite a difficult and long, you know, um, ocean voyage. Mm. So that was pretty Three. cool. Yeah. One thing we we so in terms of expectations, Matt's right. It's best to have no expectations about the places. And and on a quick note on that, my absolute favorite place or oh, the Galapagos was pretty darn good as well but you know until I got to, yeah anyway still a favorite an absolute favorite was a place that everyone's the only thing we'd ever read about it was that it was horrible and terrible and a rubbish place it's so my favorite it was Ascension Island so no expectation about places but expectations before I left I sort of thought I'm going to get to know every single emotion that I'm capable of and I had that thought, and and it's true. Got to know every single emotion that you're capable of, from abject fear and terror to um, extreme joy and elation. So and and um, amazement, amazement. Um, so you know that that was pretty amazing. Um, but actually, in another note, what Matt was saying in terms of as a team, one thing that became, you have no idea how you're going to get on and how it's going to work. But one thing that happened, I think you can correct me if you think differently, Matt, but as a team, the two of us were actually quite brilliant in a, um, somehow it just worked. We just, we didn't even talk when we were having a crisis. We didn't even really need to talk. We just did. And we just were able to deal with whatever. So we were really good when when the uh, proverbial hit the fan as a team, don't you think, Matt? Oh, yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And um, it's really interesting you say that because with my, um, with my team in the Olympic Games, I mean, we often, we would talk very little. We just do. You mm. know, I think we got to that stage as well, Sid. So, you know, we would... You know, to put it, I'd just say we got to put a reef in, and bang, we'd just go to our stations and do our jobs, and and it mm-hmm. would just happen. It would just work, you know. So, um, you know, that happened all the time. You know, I think, but that's time on the boat, and we're, yeah, you know, we're doing a lot. We're doing a lot of sailing and anchoring and manoeuvring and stuff. So we had a really good system going, and I had um, we got these uh, Bluetooth activated headphones so we could communicate 
with each other at, at different, you know, parts of the boat without kind of screaming back and forth to each other. And that was a, that was a really good um, piece of equipment that we had that was able to, we were just able to do things seamlessly yeah. you know, by far the majority of, of, of cases. Yeah. But I was thinking more too, when, when, when we really were in like horrific weather or, you know, the really bad stuff happened, we, um, we didn't even need to talk to each other. We were just dealing with it. Mm. And uh, we could just deal with it. I think it sounds like it was a bit telepathic. You didn't yeah. need those headsets, <laughs> but it was a bit telepathic. It got to that point. Yeah. Um, I think both of us were really, are really calm in those situations, which kind of helps. Um, I, sorry, I just got really emotional then. I, it just sounds like, you know, just the, 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 the being in sync is yeah. just so important and, yeah. Um, there's so many things you've just said, Matt, and I'm going to come back to some of them. But Bumfuzzle Bay, <laughs> tell me about Bumfuzzle Bay, Neil Diamond. Bumfuzzle Bay. So we, um, we were in the Galapagos, and when we left the Galapagos, we'd vaguely heard about this flu thing in China. Oh, God. And um, it, uh, maybe, I don't, I'm not sure if at that stage some people in Italy had got it or not, but, you know, we took no notice. I mean, we were in the Galapagos, for goodness sake, and, and as if we cared about the world anyway. Um, but by the time we got to the Marquesas, which is the longest stretch of sea that we had to cross, um, uh, we arrived in the Marquesas the day they started lockdown. So <laughs> the whole world had gone. <laughs> we left, we left uh, from the Galapagos and the world was normal and we arrived in uh, the Marquesas and the world had gone to pot. So anyway, we ended up in this bay called, in Nukahiva. Um, and uh, we weren't, we were pretty much trapped on our boats mm. and we're not allowed even in the water. It was uh, quite ridiculous, but that's what it was. Anyway, so there were about 90 yachts at, at, in, in the end, all in this bay, because they all said, right, you've got to go to either Tahiti and you're only allowed to stop in this place if you've got issues. So there were people that had been in, the Poly in French Polynesia over the, you know, for months and they were there, but then there was these boats coming in like us that were fresh. There were 90 yachts. So anyway, here we all are stuck on our yachts. And um, so we set up, um, we started off with trivia nights and um, Matt and I listened to the first couple of trivias and then we decided that we better you know um, jazz it up a bit so we started doing introductions and music and all that and that became very popular and everyone started trying to outdo each other but then we set up our own radio station um, there was a bunch of us that decided we'd set up the radio station and on the first episode I had a slot and it was my slot was called something like um, the wonderful English language. And so um, I gave them a word and people had to call it and say what they thought it meant. And yep. then uh, once defined, they were meant to use that word as much as they could over the day on the whenever they were on the radio or in the, in the boats, of course. And the first word I had was bum fuzzle. Hmm. So... <laughs> so <laughs> Everybody, so it took off quite well. Everyone had a go and what, what bum fuzzle meant. And then for the rest of the day, they were 
on the radio. I'm quite bum fuzzled about this. <laughs> this is quite bum fuzzling. And uh, anyway, and then the bay became bum fuzzle bay. Ah. So it's actually Nukahiva, but we now call it bum fuzzle bay. Well, it's a great Neil Diamond song. This is what Matt used as, as he was quite the uh, quite the um, brilliant um, trivia introducer, you might say. Awesome. <laughs> so now we're listening to Bum Fuzzle Bay and welcome back to Aging Fearlessly today in the studio with me, or actually they're on Zoom, have just returned from around the world. We have Matt Hayes and Sid Seymour um, after their amazing journey, but Look, Matt, you talked about limitations before and knowing yourself. And one of the questions I had was about personal development. And, you know, from this, you know, personally, really, what did you learn? And you've probably said, you know, you learnt your limitations and you learnt to know yourself. And Sid, you said you get to know every single emotion. Do you want to just elaborate on that a little bit? I think what I what I learnt um, a lot, and 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 the way that I was living my life on the boat was in the moment. Mm-hmm. I wasn't uh, if I was thinking about the future it was only about what the weather is going to do tomorrow or or that afternoon, or mm. um, or about the upcoming passage. Which actually had to do with with um, you know my life um, on the boat. So I wasn't thinking about my work i wasn't thinking about you know politics and i wasn't thinking about all the problems of the world um i had no context of time i didn't know what time of the day it was mm-hmm. i didn't know what day of the week it was mm-hmm. i didn't know what week of the month it was or what month of the year How i didn't even forgot what i even kind of i like just forgot what year it was so you just you're living in the moment and you're living from day to day um and you're actually you're quite busy and because you're not worried about the future you you i think you're a lot more calm if you like a lot lot more, lot more relaxed if there's if there's any lack of calmness it's kind of worrying about if the anchor's got to drag and all that sort of stuff so you just you engage some strategies to make sure that doesn't happen with alarms and whatnot but i think just that um the living in the moment was was mm. was a different way of living than yeah. when we what we do back in you know, and out in the real world, in the in the first first world countries, you know. Mm. So, um, you know, we just go, you know, let's go for snorkel. We'll go for snorkel and go and cuddle a few manta rays, or let's go and swim around some tropical aquarium for the most amazing fish, or go for a bit of a hike, or let's you know, let's let's go to the next bay because we hear it's all right. Pick up anchor and off we go, and and plan our way and 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 anchor in some beautiful locations and go ashore and just find some place which is a bit different to eat and all that sort of stuff. So you're very much living in the moment, uh, living day to day um, and not, not stressing out about next week or the week after or the week after that. And I think that changed quite significantly when we were in French Polynesian where, you know, we couldn't, we were there for four months and, you know, and we couldn't leave. We couldn't leave the country. How terrible. I know. <laughs> and we're just cruising around French Polynesia and there's no tourists. You know, we are oh, just, amazing. We're so blessed. We go into yeah. Bora Bora instead of being, you know, 200 yachts and catamarans in there. Plus hotels. Four or five other boats there and that's it. All the hotels are shut. 
So we've got this whole place to ourselves. It's quite extraordinary. It must have been like 1920 or something. It was, it was unbelievable. It's extraordinary that yeah. this COVID event happened and you experienced sailing um, to places like Bora Bora. Yeah. Um, that, like you would never, ever get an opportunity again in the history no. of the world to no experience. You'll never, ever, ever again get a chance to be in Bora Bora with only four other yachts and not a single other tourist. Because yeah. um, yeah. normally Bora Bora, of all places, is full of super yachts and, you know, and mm. as well as yachts, as well as hundreds of hotel people. But, um, but Matt's right, though, in what he says, because, I mean, you actually genuinely really do not know even what month you are in. You're just like, or what day, you you absolutely genuinely just are like oh I don't know well I, you know you have to go and find out I think the only time we ever had a vague notion of what day of the week it was was when we sailed with some friends who um were Christians and they liked to go to church on a Sunday so we'd get an idea of when Sunday was oh. <laughs> that was the only time we had any real kind of notion oh it must be Sunday yeah exactly yeah that's right uh, yeah. Limitations, you know, a lot of us don't ever realise, you know, or sit in um, a spot that allows us to realise our limitations. Is that a scary thing, Matt, or how does it feel when you recognise you do have limitations? I'm not sure if we have any limitations. One, one of the things I, this is probably a little bit off off this topic, but one thing that um what really hit me like a ton of bricks when I came back to Australia is how wealthy our country is. Mm -hmm. Because the last time that I was in a first world country before I arrived to Australia was Australia, apart from going through transit in the United States, you get on a plane Mm -hmm. to go to the, but we were always in a second world country and a third world country. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, the people in a lot of those countries are very, very, happy and they and they have wonderful units, yeah. awesome community and and these people live on nothing you know you've yeah. got happy. In, mm. indians in the San Blas islands in this beautiful place who just who um you know the San Blas is like heaven on earth it's amazing but you know they they come around to the boat and they what they they sell you know bits of cloth and a, and a hat or a coaster or a, like a beer holder or a beer what do you call it a beer cooler thing um, and then in, in, in um, even in French Polynesia in the outer islands, there's um, a lot of people there that don't have any money and they're out catching fish and growing vegetables in their back garden. The same as in Fiji. I mean, there's people in Fiji um, and Vanuatu, although we didn't get to Vanuatu, but I'm sure this is the case. There's people there with no money, nothing, not not a cent to their name. You know, they're out catching fish and and uh, relying on the on on the goodwill of their friends and family or growing their fruit and vegetables in their backyard. I mean, even through a number of Caribbean islands, you know, where people have very little money whatsoever, but they're all fit and healthy because they've got this, this beautiful fruit and vegetables that grow in these these incredibly um, rich, um, in terms of, you know, soil rich, you know, nourishing soil where they can grow all these different fruit and vegetables in, say, in the island of St Vincent and Dominica and those places. Um, so that was... Um, it shows it kind of shows a limitation we have because of our wealth, our relative wealth in a way. Yeah. 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 Do you remember the guy, Matt? Um, 
Oh, Lord, what was his name? He'd never seen a drone, so he came on the boat and yeah. with us. And then he was saying, he's, he said to us, he said, yeah, I have no money, but I don't have to worry because if I get hungry, I can go in the forest and pick some guava or some mangoes or whatever, and so I always have food. So it's all good. Yeah. And, um, that's That's life. So there's a lot of people out there you meet from all these different countries who have so very little, but they are so happy. I've heard this before from other people that have travelled and had not the same experience of you, but it's wonderful that we need to realise that happiness isn't about money. Oh, Lord, no. And the other thing that I noticed as well, and I'm not sprouting any, any religious beliefs one way or the other, but um, it's, you know, we live in a very pluralist society here in, in Australia. You know, I think in particularly Sydney, in the northern beaches of Sydney, it's almost like, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, people would probably feel shame to admit they're a Christian or go to church on Sunday. But, you know, a lot of these communities throughout the world, they're very, very, very um, dedicated to their faith. To, and yeah. most of the time it is Christianity. Um, they all go to church. Um, the vast majority of them go to church on a Sunday. They're very family-minded, um, um, community-minded, um, and just live by the sort of the, the, the strict Christian, you know, doctrines. Um, even a lot of people that we cruise with, there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, very like religious people because I think they're more in touch with nature and whatever out there. So. That to me was actually quite an eye opener because in Sydney, you know, I I don't know anyone that goes to church. Mm. You know, they, everyone goes to church. So I just found that I actually found that refreshing in a way because it's you know people are proud to express their belief and their faith. Yeah, I find that quite um, quite significantly different to you know to life in in Sydney. One thing, um, this is kind of related, but you just made me think of, one of the things that um, was incredible about the journey was that you become part of a community, the the cruiser community. Mm. And the amazing thing about that is there are people from everywhere in the world. So, you know, I've got friends, uh, obviously, you know, out on yachts, there's quite a few Americans, there's quite a few Europeans, uh, not oh, quite a few Kiwis and Aussies and uh, French Poly in the Pacific, but you know, and but there was the Mexicans, there are South Africans and uh, Russians. Not many, but you know, I've got a Russian friend I've got to go and visit now. Um, so you become part of this community, and this community has no interest in what country you come from. Mm-hmm. No interest in what um, sex, race, religion, um, etc. you are, have. No interest in how much money you've got. You might be on, you know, a million dollar, two million dollar yacht and you might be on a, you know, two hundred dollar, you know, piece of junk. But the, 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 the thing that is binds binds us together is that we're out there cruising on yachts around the world yeah and it's quite extraordinary and it's quite wonderful and you get such a a rubbing of shoulders of 
all kinds of people that it's just it's amazing and and you know you notice it too when um you know there was a terrible tragedy in 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 french polynesia um uh while we were there no we just left matt hadn't we yes yes we just left a terrible tragedy a, a british family had uh, packed up and with their two kids and sailing around the world and one of the kids was mowed over by a uh, a speedboat, oh. local speedboat, and and killed. And you know the all around the world there were tributes and um, you know people having services effectively all around the world for young Eddie. Um, just because this is the community, you meet people, you might meet people in, um, in Mauritius or in the Maldives, and then, you know, you might be then in Brazil or whatever, but you're all still connected. Mm. And, um, you know, when this tragedy happened and you saw these people doing tributes and throwing flowers into the sea and having like little services all around the world, it was quite phenomenal. Horrifically, horrifically, horrifically sad, but... Um, you know, it struck me how phenomenal that was. And you are part of this other community, and that is in itself amazing. Well, as we know, community is really one of the most important mm. uh, aspects in human survival. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's great that you now have this other whole community. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah, and I hear what you're saying. So I want to... Can I add something to that, if, if that's okay? Um, just that with that community, um, one of the one of the great things about it is everyone is like-minded. Mm-hmm. You're all doing the same thing, although going to different anchorages and places. But you're all living on your yachts. You're 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 dealing with um, similar situations, you know, with weather and boat problems and all that sort of stuff. So you're you're eat, sleep, drinking, breathing life at sea on a boat. Mm. So um, you are, so that there's a really quite a unique, very special and very strong bonding that goes on between us, even after one or two encounters, you know, everyone just kind of gets on. There's no, there's no mm. animosity. There's no, it's just lots of laughter and lots of fun. And, and I've got to say, there's a lot of love, you know, there's some wonderful people out there who, who yeah. I love dearly is, and they'll be my lifelong friends. You know, they're just, mm. just yeah. awesome people. Yeah. And they are, they're Americans, British. Um, I mean, I, I became very good friends with a, a thoracic surgeon from Milan. I mean, Italy, who smoked cigarettes, you know, he, I became a dear friend of his. And, <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a retired. Oh. <laughs> and I got these wonderful um, friends from Norway um, who, yeah. Are very very Christian, you know, but they're, they're and they're, they're wonderful people and and um, some some crazy dudes um, uh, from Mexico and um, oh, the list goes on. I mean, Hungarians. Yeah. We had some wonderful friends from Hungary and makes the world a smaller place, doesn't it? When you know it's people very small. go. Mm. So along the way, we've talked about lots of the good things that have happened. Yeah. Um, Dangers, you know, I've heard in in I've heard of people travelling and they come across pirates. There's also dangers of, you know, obviously big ocean swells. There's dangers of um, 
other in being in shipping lanes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Can we just can you just elaborate on that? I know it's not really a question. I'm throwing it out there to you. Well, pirates yeah. do. Ha- pirates are real. Mm-hmm. Uh, pirates do happen, and they're not the one-eyed arrow with the parrot. No, <laughs> no. They tend to have guns, knives, and they want stuff. Yeah. Um. So a couple of. I mean, you probably heard about the Kiwi guy that got murdered. He was on a boat with his wife and two kids. No. Oh, uh, he got murdered. So there's a bit of piracy at the moment. So there's hot spots and they move. At the moment, it's kind of a zone around Panama is a bit of a nasty zone, and that's where he got murdered. Um, and there was a couple of places, you know, we, we had to avoid a sort of, there's an area there we, we chose to avoid because of it. Um, so that happened. That might be getting towards a year ago now. Um, we um, have friends, uh, American guy, who was on his yacht, just himself and a German crew member um, who had been in the German army for a long time. Um, I think that was probably a really lucky thing. And they got um, approached near Madagascar. Um, Fortunately, they were going up the west coast of Madagascar to get away from weather because there was some pretty bad weather around and they were trying to avoid that. But they got approached by a a speed boat with four guys with AK-47s. So um, the German guy um, sent the owner downstairs to get on the radio, which he did, but nobody answered, unfortunately. But the German guy had his wits about him, and he actually what he did was he turned the boat and actually aimed at these guys to try and sort of shock them. Uh, which I think it did. And I think this is his army training, perhaps. And then he was able to, to, they were in quite a big yacht, 60-something, Matt, 60 foot. Yeah. And he was able to turn, because there were such big waves, the weather was so bad, they were able to turn the yacht. He was able to turn the yacht and then go along the waves, and the yacht could handle it, but the speedboat couldn't. So they were actually able to get away from them. So, but the... You know, these things happen. Other friends of ours, Hungarian friends that Matt mentioned, they got boarded at night um, in the Cape Verde Islands and um, by three guys mm. and um, held with knives and um, they took everything. And they said, you just have everything, everything. Um, we won't go to the police, you know, blah, blah, blah. We won't go to the police, won't do anything. Just, you know, leave us alone. So these guys, you know, they did, they took everything, um, absolutely everything, but they left them alone. They didn't kill them. So there are pirates. Um, they, they, they do exist. Um, and there are incidents. There are also obviously people do get lost at sea. Um, we've heard two or three maydays, a um, couple of times in, in the Caribbean, there were maydays for people overboard. Um, and um, that was that for those people. There was uh, an Aussie couple just recently um, lost uh, off uh, Mozambique. Uh, that was only a couple of months ago. Their cat sank. Um, so, you know, people do get lost at sea as well. Yeah. Yeah, there is, there is danger. And there's, and yeah, oh, there's lots of bad weather and, and you know, that there's yeah. some... Um, Scary moments there, not scary, but there's some moments in in bad. They were scary, kind of like, you know, just you know, just just. 
in the in the zone and making sure we're all safe and you know and and whatever. But I think, I mean, I I, I just want to say probably the scariest moment for me, <laughs> the, the whole trip, was when um when I had to tell Sid that we'd run out of cheese. <laughs> Oh my God! Did you think about contemplate jumping overboard, Matt? I had to lock myself in the cabin. Went through the door, you know, like it's like like a full imprint through the door, like a like a crime scene, like a prop forward through the door. Oh. Oh, how did you cope? Man. I had to play dead while she was because she was choking me to death. You know? oh, no, no. <laughs> so it wasn't the pirates and it wasn't getting lost at sea, it was run out of cheese. Yeah. Yes, I know. Actually, actually, probably the biggest argument that you ever hear people have about is who ate the last chocolate bar when people when they're out at sea and they've run out of chocolate. That's yeah. usually a bit of a killer. Oh. <laughs> but we did have some scary moments, Matthew. Yeah, we, we had coming we had around the Cape. Up. Yeah, Curacao, yeah. around the Cape, Indian Ocean. There were a few moments here yeah. and there when well, I was concerned for my children becoming true orphans. So what about um, Desperado? Oh, my gosh. I am so glad to not be hearing that song today, not? tomorrow, and the next day. Matt, <laughs> tell us about your song, Matt. I don't know, I, and I just—I actually just like the song. I think it's just one of the all-time classics of the Eagles. It was just a really, really got a really cool, cool beat to it, a great melody, and and um, you know, I wouldn't play it all the time, but I would, you know, play it every now and then. Um, <laughs> no, I think, I think it means daily. Four times a day is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you love it when someone loves a song and you just have to listen to it all the time. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to say, if that was the worst thing that ha- happened, that you had to listen to Desperado, it's not too bad. No. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, there were times that um, both of us felt like pushing the other one overboard, you know, small space, but but generally that didn't last long. But you know, I think um, um, I don't mind if it, I don't if it's okay to change the subject a little because I was just thinking then about you know like um, probably the hi- a lot of people ask what were the highlights for you of the whole voyage, and mm. I would probably sum that up as being um, my I suppose our interactions with nature. Mm-hmm. We had the most remarkable yeah. interactions with na- nature. It was mind blowing. Um, Swimming with whale sharks in the South Pacific oh. Ocean off um, St. Helena Island. Yeah. And like you're just right there with them and they're just, you're just swimming around and around as they circle around this sort of shallow pinnacle, if you like, um, two or three miles off the coast in, in the middle of the ocean, up uh, to swimming with manta rays at various cleaning stations throughout French Polynesia and Fiji. Oh, in Fiji, they were unbelievable. Yeah, the, the mm. swim, and then it's uh, these, um, or swimming in this place called the aquarium and, and the atoll of Rangaroa, which is the second largest atoll in the world um, next to New, um, New Caledonia. And this aquarium was just, it's in, indescribable how beautiful it is, just the amount of the tropical fish and the reef sharks and the, 
and the clarity of the water was just unbelievably beautiful. You felt that, like you died and gone to heaven. And the Namibian, the Namibian coast, the coast of Namibia was yeah, un, unbelievable. Starting up the skeleton coast of, um, of Namibia and surrounded by over maybe millions, millions. Of thousands of, of seals just following the boat and popping up and, and uh, almost like playing around with us was just, just, just extraordinary with this backdrop of the sun um, setting in the west, but on the east you've got these incredibly beautiful big red sand dunes which is glowing mm. in the sky. You're uh, making me just go travel, travel, travel. Yeah. And just the yeah. phosphorus at night. Oh, it was the phosphorescence of the, the water. You're Sorry? talking about the phosphorescence in the water. Yeah. I've, I remember I've one it. night around South Africa, and it's still probably the most memorable night. Um, it was pitch black. The moon hadn't risen, didn't rise. It was a very late moonrise. It was black as black as black. Couldn't see anybody even on the other side of the boat. And um, And the stars that night were just, unimaginable i actually thought oh my gosh i've taken too many of my drugs oh no i wasn't on drug. I, I wasn't i didn't have my drugs yet then no good drugs but i, I thought I've, I've someone's put cocaine or lsd or something in my food somebody's done something this is this can't actually be real and the stars were like beyond belief they were like there was silver they were genuinely silver but the phosphorus in the water the phosphorescence was the same and you couldn't you could hardly tell where one began and the other Oh, no, it was I, it's, beyond belief. Honestly, I've, I've just gone green with envy. Yeah. And, the, and the bird life, you know, the, the bird life we saw was oh, extraordinary, both on land and at sea. I mean, the bird life around the Galapagos is so uniquely beautiful and Ascension Island, the Atlantic, and and mm-hmm. often would have seabirds that, you know, they, they, they get caught in some in some windy conditions and bad weather. And they land on the yacht and they kind of land next to you on the yacht and they just sit there and have a bit of a rest and relax. And Yeah, and, um, that's the best. And, and say, thanks, thanks for bringing the yacht out and looking after me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's really cool. They're, I mean, they're, I mean they're, they're thousands of miles from land yeah. and they literally stop and have a rest. They just mm. get on the boat and have a rest. It's amazing. It's, it's this really weird connection, like with these, this beautiful wildlife, you know, this bird just sitting there and having a rest and, and you know, I, I, you'd give them some space, and you know, not to scare them and stuff like that. And that's just... the moment in time, isn't it? I, I mean, this is just such a great interview to hear what you've been doing, and I, I know that a lot of people will want to know about this. But I do have a couple more questions before you go. So, what's next? Ah, Matt, you better go first. Uh, well, I'm going to take up lawn bowls. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's timid. <laughs> no, well, what you know, you've had such an amazing adventure. I'm going to do. I'm going to do some more, Karen. That's for sure. Um, yeah. And, um, Can I do a little short one? I have to learn something, and I have to retire first. I'm not <laughs> sure what that will be. Um, it will be on a different yacht, a different yeah. boat. Um, sadly, I'm selling um, influencer, um, and then I will be looking at um, buying another boat. Um, and doing the Red Sea Passage, yes. Either, yeah, either <laughs> to the Red Sea from Australia or from the from Europe um, to Australia 
um, the other way, actually. So from Europe to Australia through the Red Sea rather than oh. Australia to whatever. Through the Red Sea. Or slowly um, cruise, you know, back from Europe across the Atlantic and do parts of the Caribbean and the Pacific that I missed out on this time. But one way or the other, I'll certainly be doing it again. And I don't want to wait too long. Um, no. mm. I'm now, I'm 56, even though I look like I'm around 50. You're a baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I think, um, you know, it's something you can do. I've, I've met a lot of people who are sort of in their late 60s and early 70s who are, who are doing it. Um, but they've been doing it for a long time. So as long as I try and keep, you know, reasonably healthy and fit, I will continue to do this um, as long as I possibly can. Because well, I think you've said something very important there and um, about keeping healthy and fit because if you don't keep moving and keep doing the things that you love, you lose it, and it is true. You sit down for too long, little things, you know, become that much harder when you try to do it. But, um, yeah. I think also with that, sorry to interrupt. No, no. I think also with that, I actually think you, you're, you actually, you become, I don't know how to say this, but I think you become smarter because, because you're living in different environments, different countries, different locations, um, dealing with so many variables and so many unknowns such as the weather and meeting different people and sourcing different types of food and um, all those sorts of things Um, your brain is a lot more active than it is when you're home sometimes when you're at home you get in a rut you get in your day-to-day thing and you sort of like get a bit brain dead but when you're away I mean you're on the ball I'm not when we're on the boat if we're not in a marina um, Sydney and I are on the ball 24-7. Yeah. We, we are so in tune with the boat and all that sort of stuff. And, 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 and Sydney, she loves hiking. And there's sometimes, um, and she knows that if the weather's not right and I say, listen, I'm going to get back to the boat, there's no argument. We go back to the boat and secure it just to make in case the anchor doesn't drag or whatever. So, so I, think you'd be, I think your mind is, my mind for sure is, has, um, you know, is, is a lot more active, definitely. And sharper. Yeah. Sharper. Um, you know, especially, and also at sea as well. Like I'm on the, I'm, and if I'm not sleeping, I'm kind of like, I'm not sitting back reading books. I'm sort of like just sailing the boat and mm-hmm. you know, making sure. I'm, sometimes I'm like a, a newborn mother if there's some sort of weird noise in the boat, you know, mm-hmm. I'm kind of alert to it. So kind of in the zone, you're like you're living in the zone, you're living in the moment the whole time. Yeah. Um, Sid, I'm sure there's been nail-biting times for you and there's been a lot of times you've been very in touch with your stomach <laughs> and, um, you know, more in touch with your stomach than you really want to be. Um, but what advice or what would you say to someone just to... It, This is a hard question. I don't know how to quite, I don't want to say what would you say about someone that wants to sail around the world, about a lesson in life maybe. What life lesson have you learnt from all of this? Never say never. Ah, love it. People had always said to me, because I've been a vagrant all my life and I've moved around and lived in different countries and 
Actually, someone asked me the other day, and I think my kids have been to school in 11 countries, and that, and they always, people had started saying to me, oh, what are you going to do now? I suppose you'll sail around the world. And I'd go, well, no, I can't. I'm, I just get, you know, I can't, I get sick when I'm driving, you know, and I can't sit on a swing in the park. And then, um, and so I just thought, no, I mean, it's just something I can't do. And then, uh, but it was funny, just one day, a friend said to me, and we were just walking around. I hadn't seen her for years and we we're just catching up. And she just said, we we're walking around. She just said, oh, you know, oh, my brother-in-law's about to go um, sail around the world. I think he was going on the clipper or something like that. And something just went ping in my head. And I just sort of was like, I better do that. And that's when I said to, to my daughter, I said, oh, I'm going to sail around the world. <laughs> and she said, no, no, you can't. You can't. And I'm like, um, and she yeah. gave you all the reasons why well, she gave you can't. Why I can't. Not that she said you can't, really. She said, but, hey, but, you know. <laughs> and um, and um, so never say never. I love uh, that. Yeah. You know what's really satisfying? I mean, I'm, I just read something today um, just on a, like a, um, and I've heard this before, but it, it kind of reminded me of the fact that, you know, there's more people that, that climb Mount Everest than sail around the world. So it's only a very, very small group that have done it. And I think the reason for that is um, to get around the world proper, you've got to go around across the Indian Ocean, around the bottom of South Africa. And a lot of people will avoid that like the plague. Yeah. So, and, and not many Australians want to go west from Australia. They all sort of... Like yeah. we did, yeah. Yeah, you went west. Yeah. yeah. Well, the Indian Ocean isn't much fun. <laughs> I remember the day you sailed out the heads and you know you couldn't see me but I had my red scarf and I was standing up in Mossman somewhere waving to you talking to you on the phone yeah and thinking wow this is some adventure um uh, sorry (laughs) yeah very proud of you Thank you very much. Sorry, you know, Thanks, Darren. I know when we I know when we sailed in, um, I looked at Sydney and Sydney was was crying and and um, sobbing, and <laughs> I um, and I just noticed that I mean I something flew in my eye and it was kind of watering a little bit. So <laughs> yeah, I know, it's no. So sorry, I am. I'm very proud of you. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah. Oh, I think I'll have to end it there. Um, <laughs> It was an adventure. If you want to hear the first interview that I did with Matt, it is episode 26, which was two years ago. Um, I don't know, Sid, I think you'd escaped back to New Zealand to say farewell. I was there, but that's all right. You were in New Zealand with the family and you you couldn't be there. Zoom wasn't a thing of doing interviews then, but um, well done, both of you, and those that helped you to do that. I know, yeah. you know primarily it was the two of you, but there was many other hands on deck and Sid, you and I talked about some of those earlier and how great some of them were. Yeah. Ex-Olympic sailors with you, Matt, that really one woman in particular who really knows how to sail. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah what an amazing trip. So, yeah, it was incredible. Guys, um, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. It's, um, and, you know, yeah, that's it. Thank <laughs> you, everyone.
Thank you, Karen. Thank you for uh, inviting us on the show. It's it's um, really appreciate your support and 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 really appreciate your kind words. You know, thank you. So much. It's um, absolutely. Yeah, uh, it's thank you. Well deserved every bit of it because you know, oh, it's a a ginormous thing you've done. Is ginormous a, a word? I know we use it, but it's a ginormous yeah. word. A ginormous thing. Don't think it's in the dictionary. it's in the slang dictionary (laughs) Um, enjoy time with your dad I know now you know you're saying your dad's 95 and you're you're in isolation in um in Auckland at the moment and Mm -hmm. preparing to go on sea and spend some time with him much deserved and best wishes to your family and Matt I'm sure yours are so pleased to have you back (laughs) and I hope to see you in real life soon yeah. Yeah. Sure, Karen. Thank Let's you. get that bubble open. <laughs> so this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember... Aging is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside. There's a sparkle in your eye. It's not all nine to five. It's a wonderful life. Let's go and climb mountains high. Across oceans wide Live out our dreams Just you and me Let your heart be alive There's no time to waste Gotta go get the most out of time Don't be afraid Like this treasure that you've got to find Let your heart be alive.